SVB, their focus, they were tech startups. To save just that sector, that technology sector that had hundreds of billions of dollars. But, you know, when you're listening to the CFOs of these companies and they didn't understand that the FDIC limit was 250000 there's a problem. a regular gym routine. When was the last time you checked on your financial fitness? If you're feeling like you're falling behind, Ed Sedell is here to help with The Retirement Trainer, a podcast about helping you get into better financial shape. Every week, Ed talks about things you need to know to become more financially fit for your future. Learn about things like how much money will you need, financial mistakes other people often make, and how you can avoid them. Plus, details on The Retirement Fitness Plan, a plan Ed personally created to help you get to and through retirement by focusing on five key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan when you visit egsifinancial.com and click on processes. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to The Retirement Trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. It's The Retirement Trainer with Ed Sedell, a podcast about finding ways to help you stay financially fit for your future, no matter what financial shape you're in now. Rolling recession fears, bank failure fears, inflation fears. What is happening? And what can we do? The trifecta, right? I know. And what can we do to protect what we've worked so hard to save and to keep our plans financially strong and healthy. This is Leanne Sedell, and here to help us with all of our questions and to give us some guidance to stay in the best financial shape possible, Ed Sedell, the retirement trainer. Hi, Ed. Wow. Good morning, Leanne. Crazy, right? I mean, it's been a crazy uh, couple years since uh, the new administration, but it's, you know, the policies and everything else, we're, we're kind of seeing the uh, the end result, right? It's It's coming to fruition right before our eyes, unfortunately. Well, and I think I hear you say all the time, regardless of political party, we're just talking policy alone here. Yes, it is policy. Everything that we're dealing with right now was because of policy, um, fiscal policy. You know, everyone says, look, we don't have a revenue problem, which I agree with last year's revenues. I mean, almost record all time high as far as, you know, uh, tax revenues received. But it also, you know, record high spending. And everyone says, well, you know, we don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. I'm like, no. Well, that's part of it. But those are the symptoms. The problem is we have a leadership problem. And from the administration to Congress, you know, I just, you know, hope and pray that, you know, someone actually starts to step up and become a leader and say, you know what, we we need to get our fiscal house in order and stop this craziness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that goes, I'm just going to give a little context. Today is March 15th. Yeah, it's it, March. It, yeah. yeah. And just, it's about almost noon. We're coming up on noon here yeah, very soon. So, uh, yeah, 1146 in the market. Yeah, uh, the, the market. Dow is down 516. It's come off of the uh, the lows, which were you all know, the way down to 650 as early at the futures this morning. We're, we're calling for. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that has everything to do with the bank failures. Right. I mean, you know, that, and that, that is everyone thinks that that's the problem. It's the tipping point. The problem is, is the debt bubble. I mean, and this we've been talking about this for a very for years. You know, we've got record high 
credit card debt for consumers, you know, record high installment debt for consumers, corporate debt, uh, and, and the national debt. And, and let, let's talk about these. The Okay, we're, we're, we're going back a little bit, but the used car market and the new car market, we all paid more for vehicles than we would. Have, I mean, that was off the charts what people were paying for. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. So l- let's kind of talk about then the, the defaults and then we'll kind of get into I, I think that's a good segue into the bank. All right. So. Right now, because everything was inflation, right? That the definition of inflation is, you know, uh, too many dollars chasing too few goods, and we saw that. The Fed said, "Hey, it's transitory." So Yellen, you know, I, there's a her inability. I'm just trying to be very nice. Her inability to to do her job and Powell's inability to understand what's going on, um, because Yellen was both, you know, she was the the head of the Fed Federal Reserve, and now she's Secretary of the Treasury, and they're inability to understand economics 101. I don't, and, I don't and, necessarily well, think because, it's even that well, simple. Well, because the feds, what they should have done was, hey, instead of saying, ah, inflation, it's temporary. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a big deal because if they had said, you know what, let's go ahead and stop putting money into the system. Let's reduce our balance sheet. So when you hear reducing the balance sheet, that means they're cutting back the money supply. You know, if they had done that at that point, they would have reduced or staved off inflation. But instead, you know, we kept spending and spending and spending, and they kept allowing, allowing, allowing it, increasing the money supply, creating the situation that we're in right now. So, I mean, we have raised rates in the the quickest time period since the 90s, okay? Nothing like in the 80s under Volcker. And, and so they have the, the problem that we're facing right now across the board is because of the White House and the Federal Reserve. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's bad, bad, you know, leadership and monetary policy and not just under Powell, although it, it, it definitely has matriculated to the point where he hit the tipping point. But this has been going on for decades. I mean, we were supposed to have fundamentals and the fundamentals are what their decisions were based off of, not getting influenced by any outside. And, and, and you see it all the time. I don't care whether you're watching Fox, CNN. I don't care who you're watching. All of them come on as pundits trying to influence the, you know, they throw a bunch of things like, boy, it's going to be the dumbest thing they ever did if they raise rates again. And we're going to see them pivot and all the guesswork that's out there. Hard landing, soft landing, you know, you know, increase money supply, decrease money supply, reducing rates, you know, over and over again. And, you know, I, let's be very clear. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. All right. This is an American thing. And and again, it goes back to leadership. So so let's talk about the debt. And we're going to try and pull him as much to, um, I'll just use myself. We're going to go to just make it as easy to understand because like I said. Yeah. All right. So just pull me back when you're like, okay, <laughs> all right, we'll explain it. That's Because we'll you do. guys and are even here, you're like, okay, all right, this is great. <laughs> what did you say? Explain it. Um, so do that to me. Okay. Because I, 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 I really want to keep it basic one-on-one level. All right. So let's talk about the what we're seeing right now in the defaults as far as loans on the consumer side. So we're, we're seeing, you know, high default rates as far as car loans go. And typically, and we've seen this in the past, you know, when the housing bubble happened, which is right, that was the tipping point, but it was a debt issue back then. Mm-hmm. Okay. The tech bubble, the first thing that typically goes are the, the car loans. People default on cars. And the reason that they're defaulting on cars instead of credit cards is, especially right now, when you when you look at real wages, now they raised from 4.4 to 4.7, okay, uh, or 4.6. It was expected to be 4.7. But inflation, you know, is, is about 6%. So wages are not keeping up with inflation. 
And, you know, you can argue, hey, is that the real inflation rate? You know, I think it's actually higher. We all know that when we go we to the grocery store. We all know store. it is. Yeah. And so how are people living? You know, we're talking about the breadbasket of America, middle America, blue collar, living paycheck to paycheck. And they need those credit cards to be able to, to make up the difference. So they're not going to default on those cards because that's the money supply for consumers. That's the banks releasing the money supply so people can live right up until the point where they they max them out. All right. And the, the slang term is they've hit the wall. That's when they're going to default. OK, so they're defaulting on the cars first. And then we're going to start seeing the default on credit cards. And that's going to start coming. I, that's I think we're we're at that tipping point. We're right there on the verge of all this kind of happening. And then the next thing, it's going to be the, the real estate loans. People way overpaid the value of, of homes, far exceeded. I mean, they, they were growing. People are out, were even in our own neighborhood. Yep. They're buying uh, over a hundred thousand dollars more, more than, than they what asking. they listed the, pro- the house for. You know, we, we have uh, a family, Ron and, and uh, Selena, they they got a knock on the house and they, you know, they weren't planning on selling, but the offer was so ridiculous that they they sold. Right. And, and you can't blame them. Yeah. Right. But now everything's kind of reality. That reality check is rates are going up. The value properties are starting to come down. All right. And, and then you have commercial real estate. OK, so most homes, when the rates have been that low, they're not going to be variable. They're going to be fixed. All right. So as rates are going up, it's really not affecting those loans. Now, this has a lot to do with what's going on with the bank. OK, then you have commercial real estate. So I, I think that this is going to have as rates continue to increase most of co- the commercial loans, they're variable, whether it's three years, five years, they have a balloon. And after that point in time, they either have to pay it off or they have to refinance at a much higher rate. And those that don't have a balloon, it is variable. So as rates go up, the servicing on those on those loans get goes higher and higher. And it gets to a point where they can no longer you know service the debt, just like with credit cards. So there's a big difference between servicing debt on a credit card at 5.99% or even 7.99%. And now all of a sudden it's over 20, 22, 23, 24% on on bank cards. So just think of it this way. If it's at 22% and we have inflation at six, right? That means every four years, whatever you paid for, if you're just paying that minimum payment, you bought it again. Yeah. All right. And people just can't cover that debt. They just can't service it. Well, the same thing is coming true with real estate. And I think that is going to start to hit and we're start going to start seeing those default on, on commercial properties. You know, everyone says, well, it's going to be mainly in, in C and B space, but I think it's going to be across the board, you know, A, B and C space. So A is the, uh, the nicest space and then C kind of warehouse and multipurpose kind of stuff, right? This is how you relate it back to the banks because that's essentially what... Well, and, and that's the problem. Okay, so they were making these loans, um, let's just say a 30-year fixed at at 2.5%. You know, they can't make any money on that. Not to mention the fact that they were investing. So let's let's go right to SVB. So banks, these regional banks, and and, and most banks, they were the short-term notes, treasury notes, which were one-year, you know, two-year, three-year, five-year, okay, the the yield or the return, it didn't make sense. So they were buying 10, but a lot of 20 and 30 year. Well, you know, at one point last year, the the 20 year U.S. Treasury was down over 35 percent. Yeah. Now, when they say realized versus unrealized losses, unrealized losses. And th- so this is what you're hearing. With, well, they were unrealized losses. 
What that means is the value of that, think of it like a stock. If you own stock in a company and you bought it at $100 and the market, you know, is going down and down, the value of that stock is now $50, you know, a share. It's not really experienced until you go and trade. But that asset has reduced its value. Yeah. Okay. So unrealized losses. So the amount of assets that they had were significantly reduced because of everything that was going on, right? So they they did not have a risk manager. So a risk manager, their whole job is to manage the risk of not only the loans that they're giving out, but also how they're investing those funds, right, to hedge to make sure that they're making money. The problem was they didn't have one for over nine months. And so there was no one there to hedge the interest rate risk because the feds have been telling everyone we're raising rates, we're raising rates. And you could see it in the the one and two year treasury. Okay, and and so when we talk about the inverted yield curve, right? So when the short term treasury is going up, right, and it's paying out more than the long term, you know, the 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 ten, the twenty, and the thirty year, you know, they're going down. Well, that means that's a, a definite sign of a recession. Okay, I mean, again, this is you, you have a bank that's worth you know billions and billions of dollars, but you don't have anyone, the CFO, the risk manager, they don't understand this. I mean, that, that's what's so scary. This is not rocket science. This is not, I mean, this is basic economics. But for so many years, the only thing I'm going to say about that, but for so many years, they didn't have to. That's the problem. This they is why I'm saying th- this is this is a leadership problem. Yeah. I mean, this goes this is the, the problem of the Sleeping Federal Reserve. On the job. You- <laughs> well, we started looking at it in 2015. Remember? Well, we, because I'm like, look, you know, look at look at how leveraged the market is. And and my fear back then was, you know, the bonds, you know, the, the default as as if rates go up, you know, the, the corporate default rate is going to be really high and bondholders, they're going to be left holding the bag, which is typically that's where people used to escape for security. And and imagine those people last year that had investing in the 20 year treasury, you know, those folks that are retired saying, I, I'm going to invest in something safe. And now all of a sudden you're down 25 to 35 percent at any given point you know, during the the year. When you have the Fed say, okay, interest rates are zero or a quarter percent, you know, at what point in time, you know, it's not going to last forever. You know, we're not going to be Japan where it just, it's, it stays that way forever. You, you knew at some point in time, inflation was going to kick in. And so because of the Fed's monetary policy, that has what's created this. And that's why I said that they had that time last year where they could have made some adjustments when they were saying, when they were denying it. Saying it. Well, yeah. and that's just it. I was getting to the psychology that they tend to be playing right now. Let's talk positive about it and then it will be positive. Well, yeah. it's not it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I my Say it again, so my question about the bank also goes back to this is not something when it actually failed. I'm going back several weeks now. This is I mean, they talk about the run on the banks and then them coming forward with the bailout. My question goes, this is something that yeah. everybody has seen the writing on the wall for not just the last couple of weeks. It's it's been obvious what's going to transpire with that bank. Likewise, with other banks that we're finding are coming to the yeah, surface Yeah, there, there were 36 banks on Monday, regional banks that they halted trading on numerous times, you know, including Charles Schwab. Right. But most of the regional banks, but, you know, SVB, their focus, they were tech startups. And you had companies like Roku in there and other companies that had hundreds of millions of dollars. And at least they didn't rescue all the investors. Okay, so they didn't make the investors and bondholders and and shareholders whole. Thank goodness. But, you know, when you're listening to the CFOs of these companies and they didn't understand that the FDIC limit was two hundred and fifty thousand. There's a problem. 
again, this is the basics. This is the basics of finance. And to save just that sector, that that technology sector that had hundreds of billions of dollars, and then Biden saying that, you know what, um, ah, you know, the, the taxpayers, they're not going to, none of it, it's not going to affect them at all. They're not paying for it. <laughs> but then when you read the actual rescue plan, right, we were talking about, I read it last night, yep. because it's kind of evolved a little bit, right? But basically... I don't think it's finite yet. I don't think... No, I no, think no. There's... It's it's, it's going to continue. I mean, it's it's going to be, be continued smoke and mirrors, but it's just like everything else. When he said taxpayers, you know, anyone under 400000 is not going to be taxed. Well, that's we, we know that that's yeah. not true either. Any, so, any, anybody that has anything in the investment world at all knows what some of those changes were having to do with capital gains, realized or unrealized. Yeah, well, and the new budget, absolutely. So, but what, what they're proposing is, is that, so the FDIC, they're going to pull the money out of the FDIC, which is basically going to bleed it dry. There's not going to be any money in there. And so then the banks, they have a, a special reserve account that all the banks contribute to. And so they're going to put more money in, right, to, to help fund the solvency to make all the depositors whole. And so then the banks are going to raise their fees. Well, who are they going to charge the fees to? Us, right? So d- don't sit there and, and... The other question that I have, though, they were talking today when it comes to they were talking today as it relates to somebody came in interested in buying the bank and they denied that. Right. Yeah. What was the thought? Because it was somebody from the Fed that made the decision that sat on that board that made the decision to reject that. What was that about? That is a great question, because I cannot find that out exactly why it was declined. But, you know, HSBC bought the SVB bank right in London for one pound one pound. And so, you know, basically what we're seeing right now is you've got these companies that are made whole after, and they change the rules after the fact. And so basically what we're telling banks is you can take all the risk that you want and not worry about it. You don't have to bear the responsibility because the taxpayers are going to do it. And I get it. So the argument is, right, so you've got the big four banks and all these regional banks and people are like, oh, you know, these small regional banks, we're not safe here, so we're going to pull our money out and stick it with the big four because they have been deemed legally too big to fail. But then, you know, we see kind of what happened in Canada, right, where all of a sudden, you know, if they say, ah, you know, we don't like the truckers and we're going to go ahead and, and shut off their money supply, you know, the the control state run banks, it's going to be that much easier so that's a, that's that's a cautionary tale for everybody that's listening. It's like everybody wants to say, I'm not going to be have my money in these small banks. But inevitably, we also don't want everybody jumping ship and going to the big banks thinking that that's going to prevent us from ever having any losses. Because That's right. So what do we do? You hedge, right? So so right now, just like we're investing, everything's a hedge. We don't know what the feds are going to do next week. And and that'll be a topic for our next podcast. You know, what do we think they're going to do? Um, I I think they're not going to raise rates, which I think think is going to be a huge... Oh, a, a huge mistake because inflation <laughs> is going to come roaring back. And and then I even heard that there th- there's a possibility that they could reduce rates and maybe even increase the money supply, which is printing money, right? Uh, quantitative easing. So they're going to miss the boat if they do that. And I think they already missed the chance in raising rates in February when they when they could have done it. 
But again, that that's for another so podcast. So circling back around, just because our purpose of our podcast is to also give confidence to everybody listening that what decisions we're making based not just as a philosophy of what EGSI is all about, but... To guide and protect, right? How, how do we guide and protect and strengthen the everyone's plan that they currently have and, and, you know, keep them financially healthy, especially in times like this? And this is a big deal. So everything's a hedge. You know, we limited our exposure on financials, you know, oil, um, industrials, manufacturing. I, you know, I like, I still like those sectors, but it, our exposure in the market is, is very, very small across the board, even on, from the ultra conservative accounts, even to our most aggressive accounts. You know, we've got a lot of treasuries, you know, getting ready to come due and we were going to ladder going forward, you know, any of the, the cash that we did have in the FDIC accounts uh, where we custody the money, we, we did move those out of those because of everything that was going on. You know, so again, everything's got to be a hedge. You know, you have to look at everything right now. It's about protection and preservation. Understanding the situation that you're in. We, we had that couple yesterday and they, they were talking about, you know, options. I'm going to do options. And, you know, it, that's probably the, the only way that we can make money. And I said, do you understand them? And he said, well, I, I, I kind of do. And he was going through trying to explain to me how he was going to trade. And I, I equated it to chess, right? So options are like chess. I mean, you've got to be five, six, seven moves ahead. You got to know your exit before your your entrance. You know, you, you know, you have to know what the timing is. All these things, you have to think about all the moves. And most people that do options are, are playing checkers. They're on one or two moves ahead. It's the same thing when it comes to your personal finances, right? You can't just be, okay, what am I doing today? You got to look a little bit longer term, even though we don't know. I mean, now it's more of kind of a, a trader's kind of situation to, to make sure that you're out of things short term because we can't see over the horizon. We don't know what the feds are going to do. And unfortunately, that's the problem. They're leading the market and they should never be a leader in the market. The market should be leading them. And, and that's the problem. So because, you know, we kind of have to wait and see. We got to hedge our bets because we got to take our cues from what they're going to do. And I, and I think we're going to have a big recession. That's also why the safety income and growth growth comes in. Absolutely. Play. So we're, we, we'll, we'll, we tapped into that in a previous podcast, but I think we'll wrap this one up now. Again, if you have any other questions, if any of this brought about more questions, don't hesitate to give us a call at the office, 614-526-4118. Or you can email us at info at egsifinancial.com. Go on to our website. We also have the ability for you to get on there and schedule some time with Ed if you'd like to further move that uh, arrow to the point of making you a little bit more comfortable with what's going on right now. But again, thank you very much. Thanks, Leanne. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Until the next time. <laughs> have a good day. Hey, when was the last time you tested your fitness level? Not your workout routine. I'm talking about your financial endurance. Because if saving to a 401k is the extent of your effort, it is time for you to start shaping up. And Ed Sedell is here to help you do that with the Retirement Trainer. It's his podcast to help you examine your financial stamina and learn the questions you should be asking and areas to focus on to help you get to that place you've been working so hard for, a happy, comfortable retirement. And it's not as hard as some might have made you believe. Ed's broken it down into five simple
simple steps. It's the retirement fitness plan, which he personally created to help clarify key areas of your financial life. Learn more about the retirement fitness plan at egsifinancial.com. Then subscribe, follow, and listen to the retirement trainer on Apple Podcasts, your iHeart app, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Investment advisory services offered through EGSI Investment Management, DBA EGSI Financial Group, a registered investment advisor. Insurance and annuities offered through EGSI Financial Services, Inc., Ohio license number 1020619. 